Once upon a time, there were millions of businesses struggling. Every day they wasted time, effort, and money on repetitive tasks that added no value. One day, the Better Automation podcast by Processio came to show them the way. Because of this, these businesses save time, reduce costs, innovate, and make better decisions. Because of that, these businesses grow, prosper, and use human creativity to change this world. Hello, my name is Aziz and I'm your host at Better Automation Podcast by Processio, where I interview the world's top experts and share their best ideas on how to improve automation in your business processes and life. My guest today is Andrew Wright. Located in Maryland in the United States, Andrew is a no-code entrepreneur and a business automation professional specializing in Salesforce and Airtable with experience in U.S. government contracting. Andrew, how are you today? Hey, how's it going, man? It's good to be back here and, and talking to you. So thanks for the invite back and really looking forward to getting in touch and talking with you a little bit. It's my honor. It's my privilege. And I'm happy with all the great things you're doing right now. So to give some kind of context, what's your story? How did you come up to be doing what you're doing and what are you working on right now? Yeah, so um, last time we spoke, I was working at a transportation company um, and we did a lot with uh, federal compliance with the Department of Transportation. So we kind of built out a CRM with Airtable. I did a lot of automations and a lot of document creations, and but all of it was through Airtable. Um, so since then, um, I've actually taken a different position um, at a government contracting company up here in Maryland. So now I'm working for that company. I've been with them for just about a year now. Um, I switched over to the automation, business automation, Salesforce operations side about six months ago. Um, but really that was the first time I've got experience with Salesforce. Um, so I'm about to take my Salesforce certified administrator um, exam. And we've been doing a lot with flows and just kind of basic UI and fields and reporting dashboards and things like that. This company does just north of half a billion in revenue every year. So it's been a big change of having multiple departments and accounting, sales, compliance, project management, all of those things. And, and now all those are kind of under my automation roof and improving and optimizing those systems. That's so fascinating. And I have so many questions. And I'll ask one, which is, What's the difference in your experience between previously doing automations for startups, small businesses compared to now doing it with, uh, you know, corporations and big entities? Uh, so the short answer is there's really not that much difference. Um, th the biggest thing you have to decide is what data do I want to capture? That's it. Like if you can answer that question, if you do $100 in revenue or you do $100 billion in revenue, that's the only question that matters. What data do I need to catch? And how you get to that point is when you start getting a little bit of changes from your free no-code, low-code operations, and then your more advanced, like Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce, a lot of these Appian. Appian's a huge one in the corporate world now. Um, it, but it all comes down to what data you want to capture, identifying it, 
and then understanding who is responsible for gathering that data because our business it's garbage in garbage out so we really have to work at understanding who is putting this data in because that first value i can i can run a million different formulas and lookups and and all of these things to get to another value but i need that first initial human inputted information into the system and then my job is to do all this funky stuff with it whether i'm doing it in airtable or appian or salesforce i'm a big salesforce guy i would say out of all of them that i recommend you know you got to go with salesforce it's just the ability the ability to customize everything is unbelievable and the community is amazing but yeah not not much different um so a lot of the skills that i learned using Airtable and using all of these low-code, no-code tools have helped me tremendously in my new role because it's all the same. It's a different UI for in terms of how you click, but most of these softwares today is still like low-code, no-code. It's just different. Like in Flow of Salesforce, it's just like a node structure. So you got your node, it's got its conditions and its formulas and everything. And then it connects. There's really, you can get so much done today at a very, very high performing level. We're talking major multinational corporations without writing a single line of code. Now, once you get into the more money of these corporations, you do want to do some custom coding to get just exactly what you want, a little bit of functionality. But I would say 90% of all of our major business operations or low code, no code using Salesforce, but same functionality, same formulas and all those things. But the custom code really drives home that last that last mile problem. So you would need to kind of make some connections in the business world with some custom coders with lightning components and things like that to really push it to the next level. Thank you. And Processio, who is creating this podcast in order to connect the automation community has those enterprise grade features and the ability to add custom code, custom actions, create your own APIs for uh, software that doesn't even have them. And I have two questions for you because I noticed you're speaking about data, deciding which data to focus on. Well, what is your advice to whether a startup or corporation on deciding what data to keep track of or to use? And you spoke about reporting. Is it the data, the most valuable thing that it can do is decision making? Or is it uh, like uh, process efficiency? Or is it saving man hour or person hour? Or what is the highest value that you're experiencing currently when you're doing the work that you do so and that data does all of those things that you just mentioned and when you talk about value the question you have to ask yourself is is how much do you value those processes so like how much do i value a a dashboard that's informing my executive management on the state of the company so that they can make strategic decisions for five years down the road how valuable is that that's really it's hard to put a number on it but also you got to think of how much time am I saving within my interdepartmental communications to where I can guarantee and show that this department is working with this department and they have constant visibility into that. It's not just throwing it over the fence and hoping that it gets done. So that right there is also valuable. So it's really a, a very subjective question on your terms of value. 
And I think if you go the higher up or lower down you go on a corporate ladder, that's where you're going to find that value proposition of what makes data the most most valuable. Um, but for me, though, if you really get into it, it's got to be the, the the dashboards and the reporting at the C-level C executives um, because it all has to be right. Right. So I can have a process between my sales team and my accounting team and there could be an error and we can fix that error at some point we everyone can know like, okay this is a wrong value there's still a couple delays there of fixing that and getting everyone up to speed but when it finally hits my c-level desk it's got to be right so i would say that's the most important because it's a compounding it builds on top of each other you start with the data input and you go to the interdepartmental communications then you go to the reports and you go to the dashboard and then it goes to the seal so data valuability is growing every second that it's inside the system. So the, your historical data is probably, in my opinion, the most important, the most valuable data you have. The older your data, the most important it is. And it seems ironic and eventually it kind of drops off and it's not important anymore, but old data is good data because it shows where you've been, it shows your current state, and which allows you to do machine learning, artificial intelligence on historical data to show you what the future is. So that value is added over time with data. I love that. And you mentioned that garbage in, garbage out. And uh, when it relates to data and what you're doing, how can someone kind of verify or make sure that they're capturing correct data, that things are going well, that they're not, there isn't garbage within the information they have? Because like you spoke about, if you put machine learning into garbage data, all you get is more errors and mistakes and decision makings. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts about this? Um, I think as much as I love data and automations and the computer side of it, there is a human element to all of this. Um, so you really have to do proper training, find good employees, really kind of select them appropriately. And they just kind of have to care. That's like the biggest thing for me. If you care about it, you can kind of realize when you're putting garbage in. So that care factor is that really good part of inputting data. But I would say from the data side and the business operation side of it, you can do certain things within your system to make it almost foolproof. So a lot of help texts, like just basically how you name a field. So like I had a situation last week where we identified a field that was the field name was kind of misleading. And we realized, like, it has there been any problems with this? We're not 100% sure. But we went ahead and proactively changed that field name to be more on point with the actual function of how that data is going to be used over time. So you have to really kind of simplify things as much as possible, provide really good training, and make sure everybody understands the mission of what they're doing. We want everyone to realize that we're not making all of these improvements, optimizations, and system upgrades just for the sake of being cool. Like we do have end goals with why we want this data and we want this data in this format. Not only is it going to make their job easier by kind of streamlining and automating a lot of their processes, but it also has a higher goal within the corporate structure and the corporate vision for the five, 10 year plan of how we're going to get there. And, and that data is very important for the individual as an employee and the company as an entity. So really understanding the mission of the data, proper training, 
and simplifying any confusion within the user interface. Those are, I would say, are the big three things to to limit garbage in. That's wonderful. And I'm really curious because I dealt with startups a lot and you're dealing with corporations and you have dealt with both. At which point in the growth, the scaling or the maturity of the entrepreneur comes the time where they will value data they will begin to capture it, to analyze it, to create workflows and processes for it. When do you think someone will either be enlightened or ready to take advantage to all, of all those opportunities? Because like you spoke about, if you're making $100 or 100 million, well, someone making $100 is unlikely to be in the mindset of thinking about data. So when do you feel that inflection point happens? Um, it depends on different people, but the one thing I do want to like stress about data, right? Data is a byproduct. It's not the main goal most of the time. It's, it's a byproduct of a workflow process. So when you build these automations, you build these workflows to improve how you perform your job function, the byproduct is data. So when we really focus in on going fast and optimizing, and making sure people are not wasting time, we're minimizing clicks, we're reducing time for departments to talk to each other. Using automations, we can reduce our SLA time. By doing those things, by focusing on optimizing and speed and performance, our byproduct is good data. So I would say the, the, the moment you realize about data is the moment you realize this process can be done better. And when you do it correctly, with inside of a system that's repeat, repeatable, it stores data in a database, the moment you realize that your workflow processes need to be somewhere and they need to have some level of automation and some level of just not manual on a piece of paper, that's the moment you realize the value of data because it's a byproduct. It's like how plastic comes from oil, but it's just, it's a byproduct. I agree with you 100%. And when it comes to automation, and all those wonderful things. Well, what is missing currently in the tools in the marketplace since you're using them and you're combining them? Is there something that is not that you feel is a frustration or a pain that you're experiencing and you wish it were better? Or do you see some trends and future technologies that will be added to those automation workflow data capture data, data reporting? software that will make them a lot more valuable and you're excited about so either now there are some things missing or it's okay but you see new trends coming that will really take it to the next level i would say um the apis the interconnectivity of of things making data move outside of silos so when that's what i really loved when i first got into the no code community was the emphasis on the community of not, we're not a company. We are an environment that works with these other companies. It's not very siloed. That was huge for me because I, I come from like a decentralized background with blockchain back in the day. So when I found out about this no code, low code space to where they were trying to decentralize that environment and open the gates with their APIs so everything can talk to each other, that was huge. And I think we've made great strides in that as, a, as an industry. And I think that as we progress more and more, I think the biggest trend that's going to be the most beneficial is these APIs. 
and but the secure APIs because I'm in the federal space, so I can't work with a lot of companies because I can't guarantee their third party data transfer stuff, right? So secure data, actionable compliance, controlling that data, showing the government and other governments that you are not selling data, you're not doing all those things, you maintain compliance or at least have a division within your company that is federally certified, you know, that's huge. And having the APIs that allow us to transfer data with you. So I would say those are the biggest things that can really expand this industry as much as possible because every company has a value proposition and you expect one tool to have everything. That's just not possible. So we have to work together as a community and as an environment of different ecosystems and and because your software does something better than my software. Well, why don't we just talk about it and let's exchange data? You know, that's what's going to be huge. You can't expect one company to come in here and do everything. And if they can, then you kind of get into what if I don't like the color of their main user interface? And it's got to be entirely customizable. So I would say secure APIs and secure data. We got to start protecting the data more. And I need actionable compliance documents that show that these companies are in compliance and that my data is going to be safe before I can work with them. So secure collaboration rather than isolation and competition. I like that. And yes. you spoke highly about Salesforce. Well, what do they do that other maybe competitors or other automation software or anybody else is uh, not doing? You spoke the community is wonderful. Well, what else and in what ways are they special? As well as salespeople who are using almost a pen and a paper, maybe they're using Excel or whatever. In your experience, since you're dealing with Salesforce and some might think, oh, it's too expensive or whatever, what value or benefits do you see uh, using that adds to the growth and scalability of a company? Yeah, so it, it's a rational, relational, it's a relational, relational database. Airtable is the same thing, right? So I have multiple tabs in Airtable and I can do lookups to talk to them and I can pull in values from other tables. That's all essentially Salesforce does. At its function, at its core, the objects, we're not getting into the automation side of it, but the core data visibility across multiple objects, it's a relational database. So if you can't afford Salesforce, you really got to look at a tool that is a relational database. I need to be able to talk to an account and a contact, but I don't want to store that information in the same bucket. So you need that relational database aspect. And then other stuff in terms of automations, um, just being able to reference fields. You got to be able to reference any field. You got to be able to, to loop through multiple objects. That's huge. I need to talk to each one. I got. I can pull a thousand things. I need to make an automation on each one of those thousands. So I need loops and um, and just basic formulas. Those three things are really all, all there is, is field reference, field assignment, which is one thing looping through multiple objects like collections like thousands and then um, formulas once you do all those things it just comes down to a matter of configuration those are the big that's why i love salesforce and in one it's also industry standard for where i'm at we're, we're, we're in the multi-million dollar range so us using anything other than salesforce is kind of doesn't make sense for us as a company 
But for people that are in a startup environment and they don't have the money to initiate a Salesforce license and have the startup and work with a consulting firm to build their custom configurations, those are the things you got to look for. A relational database, relational database, loops within your automations, field assignments within your automations and formulas. I worked for that transportation company before I started working here and I built an entire ecosystem using Airtable and many extensions, which was $30 a month. I think our total CRM cost monthly was around a hundred bucks and it was just a lot of custom configurations, a lot of formulas and just creating a field, creating a column, creating a row that is a data point. Every cell is a data point. You got to find out how you're going to get there. Um, so I, we built an entire thing when I think that company was doing roughly like 2 million in revenue yearly. And we had a very high up like overhead cost. So it's, it's totally possible for about 100 to $150 a month with proper education. You have to learn this stuff. This isn't stuff you're just going to buy. You're not going to get all of the, you can't have your cake and eat it too with automation stuff. You got to learn how to do it or hire somebody that knows how to do it. And it's not hard. And that's why I love the no-code, low-code community because it's a new industry. It's revolutionary in terms of how they're doing all this stuff. So people are super excited to talk about it. So just Take the time, do the research, get involved in the community, learn the stuff. Then you can you can walk away with something that you totally customize that provides all these job functions that does all this stuff for 150 bucks a month. But the cost is in the brain. You have to learn it. It's not something you can just buy. And I think a lot of people are used to buying things off the shelves and it works for them. That's not how it works anymore in the startup world. You have to learn it. Thank you. And I'm mentioning Processio again, which does the enterprise grade automation where anybody of the listeners can get one hour a month for free, which is a front time, which is equivalent to 100 human hours. So it doesn't even have to cost 30 or 100 or 150. It can be yeah. for free. And to ask you then, let's say someone wants to learn and you spoke about like the brain cost and i remember how much time you spend looking around in youtube videos to learn how to use many of the automation tools if you could look back and give yourself or any other person advice on how to learn it or how to vet a consultant or someone who comes to help them build their automations or workflows or anything like that what would be your advice in both cases or whether how to learn it in the best, most efficient and effective way, as well as how to know if someone knows what they're talking about rather than talking big game, but you know, they, they yeah. don't do anything with it. Uh, my advice for learning it is to, you, you have to build on your own, you have to build. So if you don't have a use case that you're working on, it makes it really hard to build stuff and learn, right? But you can also, I, I started off by building just like little stuff, like at my house, like things that helped me personally, like personal CRMs, like for my contacts, right? And then you just keep always saying, I want more. I want to know more. I want to know the time. I want to know, I want to know the time from the last time I called this guy until right now, how long has it been in days since I called this guy last? That's another field. And then you say, all right, it's been this amount of days since I called him. I want to set up an automation 
that says every 30 days, it's going to send me an email to remind me to call this guy, right? So there's everything can build on top of each other in this space. So never be satisfied, never be comfortable, always want to know more. And just if you have a question, try to try to mess with it. Try to try to figure it out. If you can't figure it out, Google it. That's it. That's that's how I learned it. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to pay anything to learn. You just got to have actual problems, like create problems. Don't try to to like not have any problems. Like you want to in this early phase of learning, you're running into a wall. Just run headfirst into the wall because eventually you're going to break down the wall. But if you walk around that wall, then it's a problem. Now you never knew how to break down that wall. And then you keep going and going and going. And eventually you get to another wall that looks like that. That's a hundred miles wide and you can't walk around it. You go all the way back to that first little tiny wall to learn how to break down that wall. So every problem, figure out how to defeat it. There was, when I was, uh, when I was in high school, this guy, he was one of my SAT um, like preppers or whatever. When I was taking the SAT, he's like, you don't realize that, a, a kid that five years old can go all the way up until like senior year of high school without ever knowing the number four and he can pass you that's so that's 10 percent of your basic number n- numerals over time yes you're going to miss more questions you're going to get things wrong but how often is number four referenced see what i'm saying so by not knowing number four yeah you're going to get things wrong but you know all the other numbers, so you can really start to to learn, but you're going to forget four. So don't ignore the number four. Learn every number. Learn every problem. Fix everything. Um, what was the other question? That was learning, and then the other one was oh, vetting a consultant. Um, well, one, you got to look at the reviews, first of all. But it's not even, I don't even care. So I work with a consulting firm right now on a daily basis. A lot of my job is working with a consulting firm and and building more complex custom code, different types of things for our company, right? And they're a great company. I don't, um, we, my biggest thing is they're willing to listen and, and, and work with you. And you. it's not about them being right. 98% of the time, they're right, right? we usually come up with the same conclusion, but that other 2%, if I think there's something a little different, they listen and we talk about it and we're able to decide which direction we want to go. So it's very good for someone to be able to listen and understand, which comes into your role working with the consultant. If you don't know it, how do you expect them to do it? It all comes back to you. It's not about anybody else in this industry. How do you even know they're full of shit? Did you learn it? Do you know? Are you full of shit? That's like back and forth there. So it all comes down to you. If you don't know what they're working on, who knows? But if you're smart enough and you've done the time, you've put in the research, you've tried to become the expert, you'll be able to see right through stuff. It's, it all comes to you. It has nothing to do with them. I agree 100%. And that's why entrepreneurs or managers or executives should have an understanding of everything that's happening. Although they will take care of the strategy, they have to be aware of the logistics. I remember 
I was watching a military strategist who said amateurs discuss strategy, but, um, you know, elites or those who are advanced discuss logistics, which is like how to do it. Uh, will it be able, will you be able to do it with this tool? Uh, how will it work? So it's very important to not be blind to that and just let people sell you dreams without you being able to evaluate the quality of their work. So I'm glad you brought up military. Give me one more. I'm glad you brought up uh, military strategist, right? So here recently over like the last two years, I've been learning about this guy named John Boyd, right? So he's a fighter pilot from like the 50s. This dude revolutionized military strategy and dogfighting for the United States during the Korean and Vietnam and all those things. And then all the way up into the 80s and 90s. But he created what's called the ODA loop, the O-O-D-A loop. And it is a different way of like working through problems and decision making. So he, he was saying that if you have a checklist, if you have a checklist one after the other after the other of a process of what your decision making is, you're going to lose every time. It's a linear down the line thing. You're going to lose every time because you're not injecting new data. Things change in the decision-making process. That's why he brought in this jet fighter pilot dogfighting mentality. You, you got two planes and they're making maneuvers, but you're in the old way of thinking, in the old way of decision-making, you're never reassessing based off what your opponent has per performed. So the ODA loop allows you to observe, orient, make a decision and action or something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's really good to think about. You have to say, what changed? You have to always be asking yourself what changed. That's the whole premise of it in short is I did step one. What happened? What's changed since I did step one? Do I have to reassess? Do I have to reorient? All right. No, I'm good. He didn't move. They always move. Step two. All right. I did step two. Did they move? Did anything change? Did the data change? Do I have to reassess my decision? You have to make your decisions at each step level and reassess the environment around you. So but you brought a military strategy and he's a military strategist. His name's John Boyd. Highly recommend you look into him. Thank you. And it's absolutely very true because life is constantly uh, changing. As Nietzsche said, you know, um, life is a process of constantly reorienting yourself in the face of uncertainty, which is exactly what you are mentioning. And it's true because deep down any decision you're making is based on some assumptions and for sure some of them are wrong and therefore you should look around to know whether you're swimming or drowning and if you just stay on those assumptions without uh, seeing what the feedback from reality well you could be going deeper and deeper digging into a hole and not even aware of it until it's way too late. And that's actually one of the most important things about data and the data that you're showing to executives. And you said that's the most valuable thing. So they can do the ODA loop on it and all that. Mm -hmm. Do you, Always reassess do you see that stage. as valuable? Oh, 100%, man. 100% because what, what changed my data? I, so I, I get data from my sales team, right? And then I got to send that data to my accounting team that the point of that data has changed. It's not the same person looking at it. So I may change the field names for accounting. Like the, the salesperson knows field one as this, but when they send it to accounting, they don't need to know that I changed the field name. They don't know. 
I just need to make sure that everyone is aware of exactly what's going on at every time. So at every step, every time the data moves, reassess why it's important, reassess anything that can go wrong, reassess, reassess, reassess at every stage. And that's the Oda loop. And that's John Boyd. He, um, it's the dog fighting mentality with the fighter jets. Always be reassessing, always be reorienting because your paths to, to the objective are never a straight line. And previous decision-making has always been do step one, then do step two, then step three. But it's really do step one. Oh shit, this data doesn't look right. I need to do step two C over here, but oh wait, now I need to go back to step one because something changed. So it's, that's how decision, it, it's a loop, not a line. I love this. This is both advanced, <laughs> very relevant to entrepreneurs and corporations and anybody who is dealing with reality, because actually my belief People are used to reliable outcomes that are based on you paying something to get a result or to get like a Big Mac or to get education where you expected that, okay, I did this, I'm guaranteed to get a result. But life is not at all like that. Life is like, um, you know, being in a sandstorm or whatever, and you're trying to orient yourself to the next water uh, place you know if you don't arrive you die and you don't see anything so you're groping in the dark as Einstein said that the way he lived his life is actually like a blind person groping in the dark and that's what mm -hmm. we do is you touch here and you think is it empty can I move like the Oda loop like you said you cannot know a plan if you're in such a situation well, Andrew, it's really valuable what you share. If people want to learn more about you or to experience some of your wisdom or to communicate with you, what are the best places for them to do so? And I'll make sure to write at least your LinkedIn link in the description. Yeah, so my LinkedIn, it's uh, probably the best way to get in touch with me. Um, it's just Andrew Floyd Wright, my full name as the like the, the URL footer, you know, like you just type in linkedin.com slash Andrew Floyd, right? Um, yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Um, just a heads up, like I, I'll answer questions and do all those things. Um, we are very busy in, in, in the during the weekdays and things like that. But um, if anybody comes with any actionable questions, I, I definitely will try to get out and reach out to you. But I'm learning too. That's my biggest thing. It's like I, I, when people ask me questions all the time, what, what gets me is, did you look it up? Did you try to find the answer? Because that's what I'm going to do. You come into my office and ask me a question. I'm going to Google it. So that's that's the biggest thing going back to, to learning and all those things. Like, it's probably going to be pointless to ask me questions. Like, I didn't have anybody to ask questions to for the most part in terms of automation and, and business and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's great to talk to people and to learn stuff. But it's really just reassurance. If you don't know the answer, I don't want to give you the answer you just need most people just need to be reassured like hey is this the answer yes or no i could say yes i can say no and if i say no go back and come back with another answer coming to people with problems without solutions is pointless 100 percent. it's like the ayn rand uh, philosophy of objectivism where she speaks about how you should live your life as a first-hander solving the problems, finding new solutions, making up your own theories and mental models rather than only a second-hander who's just repeating what everybody else is saying. And I love 
these conversations. These are food for thought for every listener who will take some time to think, to reassess, to evaluate, to order loop on whatever projects they're working on. And uh, we spoke about various tools. Well, again, I recommend uh, Processio, where any listener can get a free account at Processio.com. Processio is the modern, low-code, no-code platform for advanced automation and creating an enterprise-grade backend for your software. The link is in the description. And Andrew, as always, thank you. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And I wish you a great day and I value your time. As to you. Thank you, man. Call me anytime. Love talking to you, man. It's always great. Uh -huh.